It's a new decade. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> I've heard it an awful lot. And the amount of pictures on Instagram and Twitter I've seen of people 10 years ago and now. And I, I can't I can't even think back. What were you doing 10 years? I can't think about 10 years ago. I think I was probably doing kind of similar to what I'm doing now. I think. Well, I was still playing. Uh, so that was quite different. 10 years yeah, ago. I was. Uh, it's about nine years ago that I stopped playing. So I was playing at that time. Uh, and yeah, so I guess I was in Auckland, I would have been, because that was n- my normal warm up. I-, I did play Brisbane actually once, but I normally went to Auckland. So I'm going to say I would have been in Auckland 10 years ago. So you need to do that. You need to do a before, like a 10 years ago picture in your tennis kit. I don't Maybe know. one of those action shots, you flying forward to crunch a winner down the line. And then one of you now. I don't know if I'm that interested in what I was doing 10 years ago. I'd much rather look <laughs> forward. And you know how they've got, um, they've been doing all this stuff on Twitter about um, point of the decade or match of the decade and yep. shot of the decade. I mean, seriously, I can't remember. I mean, if it didn't happen in 2019, <laughs> can't remember it. On, and even though I'm watching these matches and there's all these arguments going on on, on Twitter about the best match of the decade and, and, you know, was it this, was it that? And then they had Wimbledon put out on their Twitter feed, which I really enjoyed, like the best shot of uh, yep. of the decade. And I think Cuevas won, of course. Of course, of course he won. Did. Of course. <laughs> for me, for me, it's Pablo Cuevas. For me, it's Pablo. I know there's the Pablo Cuevas shot from Wimbledon but for me it's Pablo Cuevas in Madrid against yeah. Sasha Zverev it's it's a very his Pablo Cuevas's party trick is very similar he doesn't yes. look he hits the ball it's it's low across on it it's a winner no one can believe it but it's something he's done more than once now oh yes no it's somewhat of his speciality I always find Cuevas hilarious because it is it's such a flamboyance in his game, but his game is not very flamboyant. He's, and neither is he. You know, he's just kind That's of fair your solid clay court, I'm going to be disciplined sort of guy. And then <laughs> randomly comes out with these outrageous shots. And, and he makes them more than he misses them. So, no, it's amazing. But yeah, I just keep looking at things, just thinking, I can't remember. I can't remember that. I don't know. If you said to me, like, match of the decade... I would pick something from 2019, just something recent, <laughs> probably like in, in, in October. Do you genuinely just have a really bad memory? Yes, I do. It's really okay. awful. And then it's tough with, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, um, a bit of a, a, a woe is me story, get the little violin out. But it is difficult because we do so many matches through the year. They tend to blur into one. And sometimes I sit down to do a player and I think, I can't remember this player. And I look at my notes and I've, I've commentated on them maybe three times this year. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anything about this player. But then normally once they play the first point, I kind of remember everything comes flooding back and I'm like, okay, right, I'm, I'm off and away. But even from your playing days, because I've done interviews with, say, tennis players and footballers over the years, and some of them remember every kick, every minute, every pass, every shot, every everything. Others can't remember, they can't even remember the match that's just finished. So if I was interviewing you after a match, which one were you? Uh, no, I would have been in the, in the first camp, actually. Definitely post-match, I was very good at recalling every point. You could say, 3-1, 15-30, what were you thinking? And I would know what you're talking about. I'd know the situation. I'd remember it. Um, but it's just more like a day later. I think it's more long-term memory. <laughs> it doesn't really exist. A day later. A day later. Well, yeah, then I'd have <laughs> I mean... less detail, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, we, I think we've gone our longest period of of not, with lots of messaging, but not actually speaking to each other. Yes, I know. 
that's it. It's been, well, Christmas and New Year, really. Yeah. So how how was it? You went skiing. You've just come back from skiing. How did it go? Yeah, I'm, I'm recovering. Um, not <laughs> you've got some seriously strong not, legs now. Not, not from anything physical, but there was um, we went with friends and we had four children under ten skiing for the very first time. Wow! Or a mixture of snowboarding and skiing, and it was anyone listening to this who has been go skiing with children. It's just quite full on because your your number one rule is. They must not get cold. Your job is to make sure they do not get cold. Right. So you're layering and layering. And we had bright sunshine. So the twins spent all day going, Mom, I'm really hot. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, 10 layers. I'm like, no, keep it on. Keep it on. It's going to get gonna get cold. They're like, no, Mom, I'm really hot now. I'm like, no, no, you're fine. So that's your golden rule. They must not get cold because if they get cold, it's game over. Yeah, it's game over. Cold or hungry, it's pretty much game over. No, it it was amazing and it was good fun and they loved it. But it's 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 very it's it's very different to skiing pre children. It's just right. <laughs> well, skiing pre children has a bit of a different theme. But you know what I learnt? Do you know what I learnt? Um, my Ooh. my most fascinating fact I learnt from skiing is that donkey milk makes good soap. What? I've never donkey milk. Right. Yep. Okay. I suppose they obviously do milk. I'd never really thought about it, and it makes good soap. Does other <laughs> does other milk make good soap, or is it just explicitly donkey milk? I was I was just on the donkeys because when I went there with a friend, we decided to have a teacher and have a couple of lessons, sort of a refresher course. And I was just making small talk conversation with our coach Xavier while my friend was getting herself sorted out. You know, you know. Oh, do you do this every year? What do you do in the summer? Where do you live? You know, the usual make conversation. Um, and he said, I've got donkeys, which is, you know, there we go. Um, I said, really? Wow, donkeys. Um, he's got 20 donkeys. And I said, what do you do with your 20 donkeys? <laughs> um, he milks them and he makes soap and he sells it across the world. This donkey wow. soap. I love that. Which even is as far as Japan. Apparently, it makes you very youthful, makes the skin very youthful. Oh. I think it turns back time. And you know what? It, it, when you're thinking about marketing something... Definitely, that's the number one, isn't it? Stops aging, anti-aging, you know, makes you youthful. I think that's the first thing. I think he's probably just gone for the first thing you can think of there. I'm not buying it. Have you not noticed that I'm looking a little bit more youthful than pre-skiing? No, I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie, you look basically Um, the same. On our our last day, um, on our last day skiing, Xavier says, wait there, wait there, wait there. So sort of waiting there, thinking what's going on. He came out with a massive bag of soap. Now, all the soap, it's carved in the shape of a donkey. Oh, <laughs> nice. Of course. So I've got a whopping great bag. I'm going to give you some. I don't actually know when we're actually going to see each other physically. Because I've also got your wedding present. There's <laughs> some breaking news. <laughs> great. To be fair, you don't have your Christmas present yet either. So. <laughs> it was a little bit more recent than your wedding. Um, so when I see you together with your wedding present for yourself and Ben, if you would like some donkey soup to... Because you, you always talk about your face... People call you like the bull bag because of the wrinkles. Well, I was going to say that's quite a challenge. So we're going to do um, maybe not a decade challenge. Everyone talks about decades. Let's do like a 10 day challenge or something like a before right. and after bull bag photo. Use donkey soap and see how you're looking. OK, right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think you called it donkey soup. Just. <laughs> oh, did I? Oh, sorry. 
<laughs> we could. It's quite confused. He's branched out into other areas. <laughs> we we could boil it, melt it, and you could drink it. Maybe that's the way to to ever youthful looking skin. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so that's that was one of the big things that came out of the skiing trip. Well, firstly, that skiing with children is very tiring. Uh, but wonderfully rewarding. And secondly, that donkey milk makes amazing soap. Yeah. You know, my, I saw my mum over Christmas, of course, and my mum my said to me, she was <laughs> getting on at me about what products to use on your face. And I was telling her and she was saying, that's not good enough. You're going to get wrinkly. And I was like, mum, that ship has <laughs> sailed. It sailed when I was about five. <laughs> what are you talking about? And she was saying, no. And I'm like, I have an unbelievably wrinkly face. We don't need to go into this again. But anyway, so I found myself having an argument with my mother. Uh, because she doesn't really have a wrinkly face and neither does my dad. My brother does a little bit, actually, <laughs> to be fair to him. But anyway, so, okay, so donkey milk soap yep. will be my, tw- maybe it'll transform my 2020. How exciting. So I can't wait for Quite that. possibly. So that's, um, wh- when are we going to see each other? What's your, are you are you back at, because I'm just, I'm getting ready for Australia now. Well, you're going to Australia. I'm not. So I won't see so you there. So I'm going to see it, but, but <laughs> what much. are you, are you back into the tennis world of work? Because I'm still trying to sort of get myself back up to speed. Well, you've been skiing, but I've been watching ATP Cup. Uh-huh. So that has been interesting. Another new event to get our heads around, uh, which I'm not going to lie. I'm not very good at new stuff. <laughs> I like my routine. I like to know where I am, what's <laughs> going on. So uh, getting my head around ATP Cup. But actually, you know what? It's fairly straightforward. I mean, it's still tennis at the end of the day, isn't it? But uh, yeah, watching a lot of matches. Um, and yeah, it seems like they've had good crowds apart from when it's two o'clock in the morning once again similar to davis cup that is just you know you're not going to get great clouds crowds at two o'clock in the morning so um yeah i think overall as an event looks pretty good i like the team corners that's quite funny actually get a lot of nice interaction it's kind of a combination of the davis cup bench and the laver cup bench if you know what i mean because laver cup have these little sort of seating sofa areas and they're all chatting and and you get quite nice little nuggets out of that, I think, in terms of the interactions. Uh, whereas Davis Cup, they're kind of all on a bench and it's very formal and we just, we this is where we sit. And uh, yeah, but for for HP Cup, they have it in the corner. It's a team corner. So it's kind of got the relaxed vibe, but you've got captain at the front and, uh, or unless you're Dimitrov playing for Bulgaria, who's his own captain, which I found fascinating. He's Brilliant. playing captain. And I suppose because of the entry list situation, it's your number one player gets you in, right? Um, he's kind of like, well, we're here because of me, guys. So I'll just I'll just sort it out. But it's hilarious because he walks back to the, the camp and when he was playing um, against GB, he was, he was down, he was losing. Uh, he was playing against Dan Evans. And uh, you know he's kind of he hadn't quite found his range. You know it's beginning of the year. Sometimes players take a little while, right? And he's kind of walking to his camp. It's, it's basically just a bunch of juniors <laughs> that all look up to him and are thinking, oh, "Grigor, <laughs> we love you, Grigor." <laughs> so he's not going to kind of get a, a slap around the face and a "Come on, mate, let's go, sort it out." Uh, so yeah, he was. Yeah, he's he's playing captain, which I found quite interesting by contrast to some of the other teams who, of course, have have uh, their captains which tend to be they're either former players or the main players coach i mean if you if you want sound bites you go to russia because marit safin as a captain is fantastic because marit safin says what oh i'd pick I mean, marit. He's, he, that would be right he says what he's thinking that there's no filter 
there's no he's just Marit Safin. He's got this amazing team with Hashanov and, and Medvedev. He was probably rubbing his hands together thinking, now this is a team to have. And he's he's great when you talk to him. He just I remember he was a guest on the show we do at at the French Open at Roland Garros last year. I keep having to say now last year. And and he was great. There again, there's no filter. He will just you ask him a question. I think we asked him a couple of questions, I think, at the time about Nick Kyrgios. And, uh, and he just gives these amazing answers because he's he's not sort of beholden to anybody and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. And so it's been great. I've seen a few bits following on social media. I've seen a few bits and pieces. It, it seems the most difficult thing for the ATP Cup is when it becomes very lopsided in terms of Team Greece. Yes. You have Stefanos Tsitsipas and then you have Stefanos Tsitsipas's teammate who Stefan Sitzpas <laughs> says you know he's great and he's wonderful and he tries so hard and that's brilliant but in terms of a ranking is he a match for anybody up there with a high ranking no he's not and you could bring Moldova into that Rado Albot's teammate etc so that's that seems to be that the difficult part of the ATP Cup so far is that some teams are ridiculously strong we can throw Spain and Russia etc etc others have a a whopping great gap between their top ranked player and the second player. Yeah, and that was always going to be a bit of an issue. We don't have a tournament kind of like this where that's the situation and you get in because of somebody else. But yeah, I mean, I suppose it has kind of happened in Davis Cup occasionally, but it's never really been that strong. I mean, Roberto Bautista Agut for Spain, playing at number two, of course, behind Rafa. Uh, he's played two players outside 800. So <laughs> it's it, just, it's like he won, the first one was love and love. I can't remember the score of the second one, but I'm pretty confident it was something similar. And he, yeah, he, I don't know. It, it's difficult because for him, he of course wants to get whipped into shape for Australian open, right? He's a threat in Australian open. He wants to be looking to go deep and, uh, you know, playing players ranked a thousand is not going to do it really he needs to be playing kind of better players a bit more of a challenge so there's that element of it and it's just not really a spectacle is it watching somebody get duffed up love and love um and it's a little bit painful because you've kind of got the team environment so um but I suppose that's the nature of the team event isn't it you want to find the strongest team the strongest depth of team I guess um and really got to be looking at Spain and Russia but you're talking about Marat Safin and I mean team Russia is the team you want to be a part of right now it looks like they are having an absolute whale of a time and he's clearly <laughs> winding up um Medvedev because in the press conferences he was just kind of banging on about Karen and how special he is and oh you know he's just Karen is he's just so great and he's amazing <laughs> and Daniel Medvedev is sitting there being like what <laughs> I'm amazing too, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're they're having a really good time. Three games Roberto Bautista Agut lost in his second match that he played. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So he's lost three games in two matches. And Novak Djokovic, I mean, he's whipping up the crowd into some sort of frenzy. They currently lead Group A ahead of South Africa and then France coming in in third place. It's led to some great moments. Social media, as you say, if we look at Labour Cup, we look at Davis Cup, the team, and supporting each other, and the jumping up and down, and absolutely loved it. It's just been, yeah, some, <laughs> some of the matches, you kind of think, right, okay. And and Sasha Zverev, what, what on earth has this start to the year been oh, about? Oh, no, I know. Um, a lot of people jumping to very quick conclusions that him following Federer around for a couple of months was not necessarily the best preparation he could have had in terms of his off season but it was not 
it's not been good. That's all I can say. I mean, you know, look, he had an up and down year last year, but it did look like he was kind of getting his stuff together by the back end of the year. But yeah, it was not a great performance. Look, he was playing Sitsipas. So, I mean, in terms of an opening match for your year, it's not not an easy one. He's not playing somebody ranked a thousand, is he? But the double faults were back. It was looking at kind of his negativity on the court as well. He's got Boris Becker next to him and he was still being fairly negative. Uh, his dad was there looking in, <laughs> in uh, uh, well... I think despair is maybe too strong a word, but he was not happy <laughs> with what he was watching. So Sitsipas, he's lost, I think, five straight times to Stefano Sitsipas. But then he plays Denis Shapovalov, also a quality player, but he loses yeah. two and two. He's not playing well. That's it. <laughs> to be honest, that's just that what happens. If you're not playing well and you're playing against players of that level, which you do when you're the number one player for your country, you're going to have to play against really good players because everybody's there because of their number one player with the exception of Great Britain, because Andy Murray had to pull out. So we don't have our number one player. Uh, but still, Evans is a really tough, tough opponent. And he's actually playing better than I think his ranking at the moment. So that's, you know, every match is going to be difficult. And that's that's the way it is, really, for him. So I don't know. It, he's not playing well. I don't know why. I don't know what he did on his off-season. But look, he spent the beginning part of last year not playing well so maybe it'll be a similar thing and it'll take him a while to get going who knows well I can tell you a little bit about his off season because it's been well documented on Instagram he is in a new relationship with a German model or supermodel I, I sometimes think we use the word supermodel a little bit loosely Yes. You know, like we call, you know, like we call people, everyone's a legend. You're like, are they a legend or are they? Um, <laughs> so she is, a, I mean, she's very attractive, German supermodel. And they've been very public with interviews. And they obviously, there was another off-season holiday with Marcelo Mello. Of course. Because that's, <laughs> that's, that's sort of standard. Um, so there's been a lot about his new, not, not that that's a bad thing, because everyone deserves an off-season to have some time. But they've been very public with that and obviously there was the the tour with with Roger Federer that he seemed to enjoy but maybe maybe it was more of a distraction look Roger Federer at his stage in his career after everything he's done he can do something like that which really was about him and it won't really affect anything else but for Sasha Zverev who's still really finding out his place in the order in this new order but, but then again, you're Sasha Zverev and, and you, you join Roger Federer's management agency and they give you this opportunity, which will have had financial incentives, as well as being adored by hundreds of thousands of people. It's it's very difficult. To, I can't imagine anyone would have said no. Actually, you know what? I just want to shut down. I want to go into closed season and I want to get ready for 2020. So I don't blame him, but... I just think it's difficult because of this breed now of the, the Medvedevs, the Tsitsipasas and the, the Shapovalovs and all these guys who have pushed their way into the top 10. I think it's I think it's a really important start to the year for, for Sasha's Rev. Let, let, maybe let's discount the ATP Cup. I'm not saying, you know, I just think, as you said, some players take a little bit longer. But it's it, I think it's an important beginning of the year for him to see where to see where he lies in all this. Oh, I think for sure. I think he's looking vulnerable. He was all through last year as well with these players who, there are a number of players who have achieved more than he has in slams of a similar age. So, you know, 
he he's not falling behind. He's been leading the way, but he's not necessarily leading anymore. He's now part of the pack of young guys, which is probably quite uncomfortable for him. It's different. But yeah, you're right. In terms of that South America slash Asia uh, tour that he did with Federer, that was an incredible opportunity of a lifetime to earn a huge amount of money, have a huge amount of exposure, enjoy experiences that you would never, ever get to experience. Um, you know, the biggest crowd ever for a tennis match, for example. And, you know, absolutely extraordinary, These this level of exhibition. So you absolutely cannot blame him. But the one question mark is that it's come after a difficult year for him. Yes, you know, look, I was the person at the end of the year saying his year hasn't been that bad. He's still ranked highly. He's not you know, having an absolute disaster. But it just he hasn't hit the heights that he had before. And we were actually expecting him to push on. So it has been a bit of a step down. So off the back of that year, you just got to question the motivation because I could name a, a lot of players that probably would have turned that down after a year like that and actually turned around and said, you know what, guys, I've got to sort out my serve. I've got to get on the practice court. I've I've got to get to the best possible level because this year he didn't reach the level of last year. And for somebody who's 22 years old, that is not really ideal. Um, you should really hopefully be pushing forwards at the very least kind of plateauing a bit. So that would be the one question. I mean, I would say, so for example, I could throw out there somebody like Andy Murray at that age, in that situation, off the back of a year like that, he would have said, no, I, I, I don't think he would have taken that. Do you, do you think so? I just, I just think, and it'll be interesting if anyone gets. I just, how do you turn that down? This is Roger Federer, and who knows how much longer Roger Federer's been playing for, offering to take you with him. Yes, it was the Roger Federer tour. They were paying the money and going there to see Roger Federer. But to be part of that, I mean, some of those stadiums, hundreds of thousands of people, you're young, you've joined that agency, you want to be like that, you want to have that. I just, I just don't know how you turn that down. I just think it is impossible to turn that kind of offer down. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I get what you mean. And, and, you're right to an extent. I think plenty of players would have accepted it. And I, and I don't think it's a criticism for them to not do it. But there are also a number of players who I don't think would have done that. There are players that do turn down big opportunities for the good of their own game and their own development because it doesn't work. It doesn't fit in what they're doing. So I, I don't blame him for doing it. But will it have had an impact on this year? I think absolutely because he would just not have been concentrating on developing his game properly. He's playing exhibitions the whole time. And, you know, whether or not he had enough time to develop his game, who who knows? Um, clearly, he hasn't changed his serve because he was still double faulting uh, uh, this this season already. So a question mark for, for Zverev. And you know that Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Hashanov and Shapovalov and Auger Eliassime, I know he's not necessarily 100% ready, but like they have put in an absolute shift and got every drop out of their off-season. I found the Merit Safian quotes. He was asked, are you enjoying the captaincy of Russia and do you think you'll get involved in tennis a little bit more moving forward? And he just says, let's wait for the result here. I mean, I'm very happy with the guys, the way they're performing. Looks like I'm helping them as much as I can. They're very special. He's special. Karen is special. And then Daniel Medvedev goes, 
I'm very special. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet it's I bet it's such a nice vibe in that team. You know, they've grown up together. They they know each other really well. Um, and you know, Marat is Marat, isn't he? Like you say, no filter. I'm sure he's such a laugh to be around, but hugely experienced, of course, Grand Slam champion. And look, he, you know, maybe has a similar sort of Russian temperament, particularly to Medvedev. You know, he was known for smashing up rackets here and there, and <laughs> and uh, being a little bit of a hothead. So I'm sure they can relate. And I reckon they're going to be getting a lot out of this, being around him and being in that team environment. Because with for those guys, the drive and the work ethic, I think particularly for Medvedev, is unquestionable. Absolutely unquestionable. I mean, we see what they did last year. Absolutely extraordinary, the Medvedev team. So actually, I think it, it, it's good that they kind of keep a little bit relaxed as well. Because... I think they they need that. And as I say, particularly looking at Medvedev, who I think everybody's anticipating to have an extraordinary 2020, potentially winning the biggest titles, talking about slams. It could be his year to to win a slam. If I asked you now who is going to win the four slams, are you going to be brave and and take a risk or is it the old guard who are winning them? Of course I'm going to be brave and take a risk. (laughs) Got to be looking at Medvedev. Not not quite convinced about Sitsipas. I think maybe one more year or it would be the situation that kind of a real opportunity, somebody got knocked out um, and then he kind of made a run through or, or something like that. Um, poor Dominic team. Uh, I think it'll be f- f- final or whenever he meets Nadal at Roland Garros once again. Um, <laughs> poor guy. He's been the closest to winning slam for so long, but unfortunately his test is slightly tougher than, uh, than the others. So, so you have Medvedev winning a slam this year. Which one? Ooh. Um, Ooh. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. I guess, well, let's say US then. Okay, so he needs a little bit more time. Yeah, the last one. He'll come in at the last second. And also that keeps my dream alive all year. So because last year I made the mistake on the time capsules of putting, of writing things that were just ruined by the first day of Australian Open. Like what was my headline of the year that Nadal only wins matches on clay and then obviously he won his first round at the Australian Open. But that was silly. I mean, that, that what were you thinking? That was yeah, ludicrous. That was slightly ridiculous. I mean, that was, uh, that was, that was ridiculous. I thought it was genius at the time, but mm. <laughs> anyway. Amazing how we, amazing how we look back on these things. So do you think it's going to be the old guard this year? Do you think there's another year to wait? Yes, I, I think if, I think you're right. I think if it happens, it will happen in New York. I can see Djokovic winning Australia. I mean, even just look at him at the ATP Cup and he's been doing a little bit of off-season training with Cristiano Ronaldo, of all people. But he he looks focused, fired up, ready, off we go. I, I see Nadal again, <laughs> Roland Garros, unless there's an injury. I just see him getting another one there. And then Wimbledon, probably probably Novak Djokovic again so maybe maybe at the US something might come up because the old guard are feeling a little bit or there's an injury and someone gets a chance to sneak in but I don't I don't see it being I think there's gonna be a lot of changes in the top 10 but I'm just not sure I'm not sure about those I I haven't thought we will be doing our predictions for the year on the ATP podcast which I'll be doing with Peter McCarter in a couple of weeks time and I haven't really thought about it I've got a very long flight to think about it can you imagine though if the slams this year again went Djokovic Nadal Djokovic Nadal (laughs) I mean I mean I know that people have started to do it now and kind of look to the younger guys and be like oi what's going on 
And then 2019 was definitely much stronger. They definitely pro- pro- um, proposed a stronger challenge to the top guys. Uh, and maybe you could say they're right up there now with, alongside Federer. So you could say maybe they've chipped away and taken, you know, one of the top three down. There's two left to get at. So progress has been made. But if it was another year of Nadal and Djokovic winning slams, then I, I, I'm even, maced, you know, I'm not very patient at the best of times, but I might start to lose patience. <laughs> You know, come on, guys, let's do something different here. But then by contrast, what on earth is going to happen on the women's side? Well, we know that Caroline Wozniacki is not going to be playing an awful lot more because Australia is her final tournament. Serena Williams, is this the year? Does Serena Williams do it? Does she level the record? Does she beat the record? I... I'm still going no. Uh, I See, I've always maintained that she would. What, she had four slam finals, four attempts, is that right? Post, post-baby. So, look, I mean, she's doing it consistently. I mean, the first time she reached the final after uh, having a baby was at Wimbledon. And you could argue that uh, players kind of rolled out the red carpet a little bit for her. I remember Madison Keys lost the round before playing Serena because she was thinking about playing Serena. That's what she said after the match. Um, So, I mean, in terms of her aura and her presence and the impact, the intimidation factor, I mean, it's even going to people the round before. They haven't even got to her yet. And she's still (laughs) knocking them out before she walks onto the court. So you could maybe argue that first one uh, was a little bit of a comfortable run through to the final. But the other three absolutely earned it. So, uh, of course, she is the one to beat, isn't she, in each slam? I'm kind of more agreeing with you now that it might be getting more difficult, but I'm still going to say she's going to get it. She's going to get the one. But I think it's also now mental. It's not just physically coming back from having her daughter and and other players already at that level they needed to be, etc., etc. But I also think it's mental now. I think what we've seen in, in some of the finals, yeah, she's come up against some great opponents. I mean there's no doubting that but I think it's also is she beating herself mentally I think physically she has worked hard and she's got herself back and she's got that raw power we know what she can do but I think mentally for her now it is such look we sung this with Novak Djokovic last year he wanted to win Roland Garros to complete the Nole Slam for a second time it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself and she knows what is she now 38 that that time is naturally going to be against her, that the aura is wearing off with some people, like Bianca Andreescu doesn't see an aura around anybody. That it's... it's, <laughs> it's Apart from it's, herself, I think. It's, it's, it's going to get harder and harder, together with the fact if you go into those finals and you're thinking, is this going to be my last ever chance to either equal it or break it? I think, I think it's becoming tougher mentally rather than physically. Yeah, I I see what you mean. And I would say that for any other player, I would agree with you. But I just think Serena doesn't care about that stuff. Like, yes, she has her own expectations. And I think that the four finals that she's lost, she has known going into each of those matches that she has not been playing at the level that is good enough to beat the opponents. I, I just... I don't believe it. Like I, I know at Wimbledon, she didn't play particularly well when she lost to Halep. But... Within the first few games, it was clear the level Hallett was playing at. And I don't think that Serena has reached that level since she's come back. Like, yes, she can cruise through to the finals and, uh, you know, okay, tested a little bit, but she's been getting there fairly consistently. But I just think that 
she has known that she's always been the second best player in the tournament. I think she's a realist. You know by then, you walk onto court knowing what your chances are, knowing the level you're going to have to find. And I think in each of those finals against that level of player, whether it's been Osaka or Halep or Andrescu, she's walked onto court knowing that the level she needs to find is higher than she has found since she's been back. And then she's started the matches, not been able to find it, and then it's quickly unravelled because she's frustrated that she can't get it. I think that physically she's not played at the level good enough to beat those players, which she happens to have come up against in the final. So you genuinely don't think there's a mental side to it because, yes, she is one of, if not the greatest of all time. And yes, I know there'll be people saying, well, yes, but Margaret Court's record is not really the record, etc., etc. But... It's what we talk about. It's what she talks about. And she gets a couple more and that's it. There is no discussion. She is the greatest. She has done it. So I think it's a very... Look, she has everything she could ever possibly need. Wonderful family, a daughter, huge success. She's crossed over from tennis into all other worlds of celebrity and showbiz and whatever, whatever. But if she just gets a couple more, even just one more... It just takes her to a different level. And I I cannot think that it is not something that she's thinking about. No, of course. And there, there definitely is a mental side to it in terms of the pressure that she puts on herself. She's desperate to win one more. I'm sure of it. But I don't think that it's become sort of like a, a mental hurdle like getting to the final of a slam, you know, like sometimes people have like a quarterfinal thing where they just keep getting to quarters and they can't get past it. Say a Zverev, something like that. Um, and, it's, it's almost like that's the hurdle. It doesn't really matter what the situation is in front of them, who they're playing. They could be playing my mum for, for all they care. It's the quarterfinal and it's too difficult to get to the next round. I don't think that's it. I, I think that there is a huge amount of pressure on her shoulders and mentally she definitely feels it. But I don't think that it's become a, kind of a demon, as it were. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's 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 an interesting one. And I think it'll be interesting the next time, should she get to another slam final, who she faces, how she reacts and 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 what happens. But it's it's definitely something she she wants to she wants to achieve. But with all the talk about going into the start of the season, we have to think about Australia and everything that's happening out there, which is which is horrific the way the bushfires have have taken hold. Oh, it's, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, there's there's no no words to to describe it. And it's great to see that Tennis Australia have made a big push. And actually, do you know what? Led by Nick Kyrgios, uh, he, he demanded that they get involved and do something. So they've got an event happening to raise money. Um, so many players are signing up to uh, give money per ace or just give prize money as Ash Barty's doing. It's, it's an absolute... You know, it's a it's a catastrophe. It's a global catastrophe. You know, this is a huge chunk of of the world, and you know, hopefully, I mean, who, to be honest, I, I was going to say hopefully it doesn't affect the Australian Open, but who cares really? Hopefully, people can you know survive and move on with their lives, and the fires can be brought under control because we know that the air quality has been poor, particularly in Sydney for the ATP Cup and in in other places as well, but. As I say, who cares? Just a tennis match, right? This is way bigger than that. Well, it's interesting. The Australian Open, their official Twitter account, have recently said because they received a message about the tournament and will it go ahead and can it go ahead and how can it go ahead? Because there's been talking about playing outside in those conditions, etc., etc. And 
from their official account, they said the Australian Open has three roofed stadiums and eight indoor courts at Melbourne Park. In the unlikely case of extreme smoke conditions, the roofs will be closed on the three stadium courts and play will continue in their air-conditioned, air-filtered environment. If smoke infiltrated the stadiums, the air-conditioning system will filter it out. And as you say, it it doesn't matter. It's just a tennis tournament with everything else that's that's going on. But it's obviously something that they have to think about because they've got qualifying starting fairly soon and then the tournament after that. And they have to think about the welfare of not just the players, but also the fans and, and the people working there. Yeah, and I think the worst case scenario is that it would be an indoor event. Um, they have the, the roofs that they can use for the for the stadium. So the show matches will, will go on. But it might be a case that all of the outside court matches are moved to the indoor court I'm sure they would probably put more on the stadium courts maybe add in an extra match a day the indoor courts would kind of have everything else going on and it would be a shame but as you say it's uh it's just not really about that it doesn't it doesn't matter and hopefully tennis can raise a huge amount of money that can go to these volunteer firefighters uh and for any help that um really can can be given because it's just absolutely Absolutely devastating. And it was amazing to see, you know, Kyrgios was getting kind of choked up at the thought of it. And we, we know how good he is with his charitable work and he's always thinking of others. Um, and he found it, it really difficult. And that's what he said, you know, it's just a tennis match. You know, this is, this is way bigger than that. But, um, yeah, pretty, pretty difficult situation, I think, for everyone involved. Because you think about the amount of staff that are at the Australian Open. There will be people who have relatives close relatives spouses parents you think about all the ball kids who are out there fighting and um you know trying to get things under control and in terms of the air quality i mean the only thing that i can you know even remotely relate to it and of course it is nothing in comparison to what's happening in australia but in terms of just the the actual situation when i played a challenger event in orange county we were surrounded by wildfires and i was only 16 when i was playing there and as a young kid i mean i'm from britain right we have the mildest weather in the world and i like it that way i'm not a fan of extreme weather i'm happy to have not a lot of sun i like gray drizzle i'm looking at it right now it looks lovely and with our tournament we came the next day i mean it was going on for a few days but yeah the whole the courts were completely covered in ash um, the air quality, it was really what you could really feel it breathing. It felt thick and heavy. I mean, I would say that those fires are probably less than 1% of what they've got going on in Australia. So, I mean, even the tournament in Auckland, they're feeling it uh, because the, the winds have taken the clouds over there and they're feeling the air quality. So I actually can't imagine a situation where they can play outside just ba- based on the experience that I had in Orange County and how difficult that was. I mean, the the level, I mean, unless the wind is literally taking it in entirely the other direction, I, 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 couldn't, I, I can't see how they could play in those sorts of conditions. I think the latest situation seems to be that they are monitoring it and they're going to treat it the same as extreme heat conditions, which, you know, you can get in, in Melbourne. And, and meanwhile, you talked about Nick Kyrgios leading the charge and he started up by saying, you know, I'll donate $200 for every ace he serves across the Australian summer and that was matched by a lot of players or players just giving us as much as they could. I I mean, I've donated to the Australian Red Cross, just, you know, nothing near what these guys are doing. Then Chris Hemsworth, the actor, his family have just donated a million dollars to to the relief and to helping. But I thought it was quite interesting because some of the players were saying, well, I don't really, I don't serve aces. Aces are not 
sort of uh, <laughs> oh yeah the, the, Diminor said that didn't the, he? they're like they're not they're not in my armory so Simona Halep has said every time she yells at her coach Darren Cahill she will donate money <laughs> and, and and as and then and Darren Cahill has said that every time he gets yelled at he will donate money and as we know that happens quite a lot so I can see a lot of money um Elise Corne has said that again aces aren't a big thing for her but she's going to try drop shots oh nice every time she plays she plays a drop shot and I was I was wondering if you were still playing tennis where would where would you put the biggest amount of money if you were donating to a cause what would it be from your game um, definitely not drop shots <laughs> from memory <laughs> not drop shots um well yeah i mean i def- I'd probably get on board with the aces my serve was pretty effective so that would be a a, a decent decent strength of mine so i'm sure i could rack up a, a good amount of of cash i think Dimonor didn't he say that he would donate more money per ace because he wasn't going to hit very many <laughs> sure that's fair enough and ash barty is donating her prize money from brisbane so however yeah. much the total is. And Maria Sharapova put a lump sum and then she copied a Novak Djokovic and said, will you match it? Which I thought was quite good because when you're dealing with tennis players and also egos as well, they're not going to say no, are they? So, of course I'll match that. Maybe I'll I'll add a little bit more. So they've been sort of encouraging each other to, to date money. And, and you mentioned that the Australian Open is setting up an event to raise money as well. And I know the ATP Cup, they're doing something on aces as well. Um because it, it it's absolutely horrific. Um, my uncle lives in Australia and is in Victoria. And so we've been hearing from him daily with emails to find out how he is. And he said at the moment where he is, he's about 600 kilometres away from the fires. So he's fine. But that they've all been told to effectively pack a bag and be ready. So should should the wind direction change or something change in the situation, they need to leave immediately. As you as you mentioned, you know, the speed that the fires can move, that there isn't any time. So we're hearing from him daily and he said he, he's far enough away, but they have all been told to have that bag by the front door. And if they get a call, if they get a message, whatever, that they have to that they have to get out. So it's uh, it's 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 such a sad situation and it. It, it's sort of strange to be flying over there really in a week into what is a, a tragedy for the country at the moment. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty painful. And if any of our, our listeners have considered donating money and haven't yet done it, I think we'd both encourage you just to, to get over the line, make sure you've done it. I mean, we both have. Yeah, the, the Australian Red Cross. It's a it's a very there's lots of there's lots of different ways, actually. There's um, the Intrepid Foundation, which is saying that it's raised nearly $300,000 just in 2020. And what they're saying is if you donate, whatever you donate, they'll match it. So it'll be it'll be double the amount. And that's part of the Red Cross bushfire emergency appeal. Or a very simple way is the Australian Red Cross. And you can just type anything in and anything you can give. I mean, you know, the numbers I'm hearing about the wildlife that have that have perished and the communities and the houses, it's... Uh, and, and as you say, it, it's just a it's just a tennis match. It's just a tennis tournament, at the end of the day. But um, yeah, no, it really really sad to see what's happening. So if anyone feels like donating, they need all the help they can get at the moment. Yeah, and you know, look, the Australian 
summer of tennis is is underway and and as we said it will continue worst case scenario will be an indoor event at the Australian Open but uh, you know I hope that players and uh, and everybody involved just just keeps it in the back of their mind that it is just tennis and as much as we love it and sometimes we feel like it's life and death it's not and you've got a lot of late nights coming up Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Watching all of the, the action from uh, here in London. And yeah, I'm sure we're going to have some great tennis. I mean, look, we I've got to go, but we <laughs> didn't even get to talk about, you know, Andrescu, Osaka, Barty, of course, world number one at the Australian Open, the amount of pressure that she's going to be dealing with there. But uh, yeah, I'm sure we can chat about it next week before before the Oz kicks off. So our first podcast of 2020 and you have to go. I'm in a different situation. I have to go. I went for my first run of 2020 just before we did the podcast. I got a message from you halfway through my run saying, if you can be back by this time, we can get it done. So I, I picked up the pace a little bit. And now I'm Thank wondering, well, <laughs> I didn't pick it up a lot, I just a little bit. Um, now I'm wondering how I'm going to get up because the body has, uh, <laughs> the body seized up quite quickly. I would say rather quicker than it should have done. <laughs> well, enjoy your leisurely day. Leisurely day, I can't <laughs> as move. You, as you get up off the, the sofa after half an hour or something. I've got to run, Okay. but uh, I will speak to you next week. We've got one more podcast before I, before I get on the plane. So looking forward, I'll have recovered from skiing with children mode and I'll be back into full on tennis mode. Excellent. And I might post you some donkey soap. Oh, yes. I definitely need that. Okay. 10-day anti-ball bag <laughs> challenge. Let's go. <laughs> Let's start it. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.